Well, this morning, in a sense, this sermon or this passage is all about our attitude to money. And what we're going to see is that contentment is possible in the Lord, and that in the Lord you can give in a way that actually pleases Him. So two things, contentment and gospel-driven giving. Okay? Two attitudes towards money. And we're going to think about Paul's attitude towards it, and then the Philippians' attitude towards it. And more importantly, we're going to be thinking, well, why bother with this? Like, why think about money and giving and contentment? Well, I'm sure you know people who are not very content, and they're always grumbling or sort of grasping for more. Never happy. And we'd love to be someone who is content. Or you know someone who's just not quick to give. They're kind of ham-fisted and keep everything to themselves. We want to be someone who can give joyfully. And actually, there's there's even uh, a greater reason, because we've been made citizens of heaven, and we've been called to live lives worthy of the gospel. And this is a, a way to do it. So that's why we're thinking about it this morning. That's why Paul has written about it. So the first thing, we can learn to be content in the Lord. This is Paul's thank you letter to the Philippians. And as he says thank you, he reveals his attitude to their gift. It tells us a lot about his attitude to money and to material possessions. He's genuinely thankful for their gift. Do you see that in verse 10? I rejoiced greatly in the Lord because now at last you renewed your concern for me. Why was there the delay? Well, it's not that they didn't care. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. So Paul writes to say, thank you. At last they've sent the money, they've sent the gift that he needs, and he's telling them how grateful he is for it. Now it's possible, isn't it, when you write your thank you letters, to be so full of thanks that you actually sound like you'd like more. (laughs) Maybe sometimes we get a letter from a charity, perhaps, you've given money to you, and they say, thank you very much for the gift, and here's another way you could support us. And not all the time, but sometimes you think, hmm, I know they're really grateful, but it sounds like maybe they're looking for something more. But Paul says here he's not looking for more gifts, he's not looking for more money. He's content. Verse 11, I'm not saying this, do you see verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now imagine that. Contentment in any circumstance. So clearly having all the things we want is not the basis of contentment. Verse 12. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now just think about where Paul is. He's in prison. And that makes it obvious that contentment cannot be about having all the things you want. It's not the feeling that you get when you've had a hearty meal. You know when you're around at a friend's house and you've had the food and your stomach feels full. But Paul says he's learned the secret of being content, of being filled and going hungry. 
you could be content with an empty stomach. It's not lying on a beach in the sun, surrounded by friends, with your favorite cool drink. Paul says, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. He's not lying on a beach. He's lying in a prison. And right there in the, in the middle of that cold, dark cell, with all the anxiety, with all the thoughts going through his head, the temptations to give up, the temptations to think, has this all been worth it? He says, I've learned how to be content in every circumstance. In every circumstance. So contentment doesn't depend on where you are, who you're with, or what you have. It doesn't matter what's in your wallet or your purse. It doesn't depend on what relationship you're in or if you're in a relationship. It's being content in every circumstance. It doesn't depend on whether your health is together, whether the chronic pain is better today than it was yesterday. Contentment isn't something you get through wealth. It isn't something you get through relationships or a pain-free life. So what is the secret? How can we be content this morning? Well, I think it's all about trusting Jesus. And that will not come as a surprise. That's not rocket science. It's relying on the Lord. Do you remember last week I talked about all the things we could do in the Lord that's possible in him? And the reason I say that is because of verse 13. Paul says, I can do all this. I can be content in all these circumstances through him who gives me strength. He is the one who makes me content. And I was trying to think of a good illustration for this. And actually, I couldn't think of one that was better than a picture in a book called Jeremiah in the Bible. Well, you don't need to look this up. I'm going to read a few verses. It's a nice picture. So maybe if you want to, close your eyes or just imagine it in your head. He says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water. It sends out its roots by the stream. So picture that, a tree beside the stream, and the roots are there taking the water in from the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. So when the heat's on, it still bears fruit. It does not fear. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. A lovely picture, but Paul says, I can be content through him who gives me strength. My confidence is in him. So contentment, not a product of circumstances, not a product of our inbuilt personality, our ability to do it ourselves. It's the result of trusting in the Lord. He gives me strength to be content no matter what I face. It didn't come naturally to Paul. Do you know, it was hard. It, was, it wasn't easy. But he says he's learned to be content. And we need to learn it. We need to pursue it. Study it. Learn it. It's something we can learn to be content in the Lord. So that's Paul's attitude towards their gift. But he says something about their attitude as well. So this is the second thing. So the first one was contentment in the Lord. The second thing, the Philippians' attitude. 
in the Lord, you can give in a way that pleases him. So, does Paul's contentment mean that he doesn't appreciate their gift? Well, no, absolutely not. Verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, yes, I'm content, but verse 14, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. He's genuinely thankful for their gift. He's thankful for the money and the food and the clothing. Those basic things that he did not have in prison. But there's something more that makes him rejoice. There's something more. Did you pick that up in verse 10? I rejoice greatly in the Lord because now at last you've renewed your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. And don't you just get the sense that Paul is happier there about something more than the gift? There's something more than the money that's making him rejoice. Yes, they couldn't get the supplies to him in prison, but they wanted to. And they took the first opportunity that they had because they were concerned for him. And in that he rejoices. He's delighted that they still care for him. They're concerned for him. And their concern didn't come to an end. You know, it's easy to start off being concerned for someone and then give up as it gets difficult, as time wears on. There's been a delay. There's been frustration. They can't get the gift to him, but they don't give up. And he's delighted that they're standing firm with him. You've done well to share in my affliction. He's pleased about this. He's not just pleased about the money. They're sharing in his affliction. And they've always done that, right from the beginning in verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, so when you just heard the gospel preached for the first time, after I left Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Well, look, what is it that's driving this giving? What is it that's motivating them? Well, it's been happening since they first heard the gospel. It's gospel-driven giving. Their sacrificial giving reveals God's work in their lives. And in that sense, their attitude is more important than the money. Paul's more delighted in the fact that they're still standing firm with him than he is in the stuff that they've actually sent. Because their attitude towards him shows that they are people who have experienced God's grace. They've had their hearts changed by the gospel. It's gospel-driven giving. And in fact, verse 17... Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be accredited to your account. Well, more what? Because that's a weird way of talking. Paul doesn't usually talk like that. Well, he's already prayed in chapter 1. Do you you remember all the way back to chapter 1? Where he says, I pray that you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The Lord's work in their lives will produce fruit. And Paul says your attitude to giving, which is so evident, is a fruit of the Lord's work in your heart.
And that's why I rejoice, because it's gospel-driven giving. And he's glad for their sakes, not for his. Verse 18. I have received full payment, and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. And now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, I am not looking for more gifts in the future. Don't worry. Don't think that I am grasping for more. The Lord Jesus, when he came down from heaven, he didn't grasp onto what he had, but he gave it up. And Paul says, I am not grasping for more. I have received all that I need. I am fully taken care of, but I am really pleased with your gift because they are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God and again it's strange language what's he talking about well isn't that the language of the Old Testament the Old Testament sacrifices it's not that Paul's just saying look I know that this was costly I know this was a sacrifice for you to, to support me in this way He's saying more than that. He's using the Old Testament language of sacrifice and he's saying something about our attitude towards giving. Because do you see what he says in verse 18? These gifts are pleasing to God. The question is, what kind of sacrifice pleases God? Because if you're familiar with the Old Testament and all those sacrifices that people made to God, it's clear that not all of them actually pleased him. Which is interesting. And the reason that some of the sacrifices didn't please God was because people offered them with the wrong attitude. They didn't offer them from the heart. It was just a sort of external, formal ticking a box. And it was their attitude that didn't please God. In Psalm 51, David says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. What kind of a sacrifice pleases God? Well, it's a heart that's been changed by him, and a heart that then gives and pours out and shares with others what we have. And so the gifts sent by the Philippians are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, because they come from hearts that have experienced God's grace and have been changed. So what is our attitude towards giving this morning? I know it's something people, the preachers don't like to talk about it and people don't like to hear about it. But let me put it like this. The people we support here at St. Helens are mission partners. If I asked them, would they know what our motivation is when we give to them? Do they know that it comes from a heart that's been changed? That it's the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ? Is it a result of hearing the gospel? Of having received everything from God and therefore being able to give freely? You see, the motivation I find sometimes is is something more like, well, I I feel it. I feel like it's the right thing to do. Or someone sort of emotionally stirs me up to do it. Or else it's the thought of, well, I should do it. 
I feel a bit under pressure as the, the thing gets passed around. But I feel like it, or I should do it, are not really good motivations for giving. You know, I can't imagine Paul writing a letter and saying, you know, I rejoiced greatly that at last you felt obliged to give me these gifts. I rejoiced at last that you were stirred up and emotionally manipulated by preachers to give money. No, there's none of that. No sense of obligation, no sense of emotional manipulation or anything like that. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord because of what he has done in your hearts. And I know that this comes from him through you. I rejoice in the fact that it came from a real love. A love for me. If we ask the mission partners of St. Helens, would they know that we as a church are concerned for them? And our attitude towards them matters more than money? Or is that something to work on as a church and pursue a closer partnership with those who are taking the gospel around the world? We've seen Paul's attitude, contentment. We've seen the Philippians' attitude, gospel-driven giving. There's one more attitude to look at, very briefly. It's God's attitude. Do you see it in verse 19? God's attitude towards his children. Final point. God's attitude towards his children. Verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To your God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, God our Father provides for all his children generously. He supplies what we need in order to make it to the end of the race. He supplies everything we need to stand firm. Everything we need to enjoy true contentment. Everything that we need in order to be able to give freely and stand with other Christians in partnership with them. He supplies all our needs. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus, his riches of glory are more than adequate for us. And that's the question, is he enough for you this morning? When we recognize that, then we will say with Paul, to to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, if contentment is possible only in the Lord, if he is the one who makes us content, and we say, I'm content in him, then he gets the glory. If he is the one, if if gospel-driven giving is only possible in the Lord as he works in our hearts, then he gets the glory. And if we rely on him for our daily needs and trust that he will meet all our needs according to his riches, then he gets the glory. And is he generous? Well, we saw in Philippians already that he came down from heaven and gave up that glory and did not grasp onto what he had. And so he generously gives us today. Friends, trusting him is what it looks like to make it to the end of the race. It's what the Christian life looks like. A life worthy of the gospel. It's a life made possible by his work in us. In him we can be content. In him we can 
walk and stand firm and give to other Christians as he supplies everything. Let's run towards that finish line together. Let me pray. Lord, we confess that uh, our thoughts of you are sometimes that you're not generous and when life is difficult we think, what have you given us? And yet when we stop to hear your word, we hear that you've given us everything. Father, you've given us your son and in him we have everything we need. We thank you for that. Please help us believe that and help us be content with him. And please help us to be generous in our giving towards others who are taking the gospel out into difficult places. Help us be concerned for them and to walk and stand with them in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.